Welcome into episode 25 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Happy to be joined once again by my good friend and one of the best up-and-coming recruiting insiders in the game, Travis Graff of Cats Illustrated. Travis, what's going on today, man? I'll tell you what, there's not a better combo in this world than drinking a Blue Moon and talking basketball recruiting at KS Bar. Man, I, I, we don't even have to you know, promote it. This is, this is just you coming in as a, as a Cats Illustrated uh, writer, and you are promoting our company, so we appreciate it's that. good food, good beer. What else can I say? You know what? We, we, we wholeheartedly appreciate that, and I did not pay him to say that just so you guys know. Um, but this week, we are going to be... We're planning, at least, to be coming in hot with two episodes. So, um, you know, it, it just depends on, on how the scheduling of, of, the, of working around the podcast equipment, and if, and if I can get my hands on, on uh, the equipment later on in the week, our, our goal, if things go as planned, we're going to talk tonight, kind of, uh, you know, just, just Travis and I doing this kind of a, a rapid-fire type episode where we take some of your your fan questions and comments uh, and, and just kind of go really quickly before the Kentucky game against Mississippi State tonight. And then we're going to follow it up with an exclusive interview with Lance Ware's head coach, Andy Borman, and he's actually also Jonathan Kaminga's AAU coach uh, with the New York Wrens. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of good stuff with, with that interview. That'll come at the end of this episode. But the, we're going to start things off with, with that rapid-fire uh, fan segment that I talked about. And then later on in the week, we'll try to get David on the show for a more in-depth, um, you know, in-depth episode, kind of like what we're what you guys are used to hearing, uh, and that'll that'll come later in the week. Just depends on how the podcast equipment and, and scheduling and all of that stuff works out. Should be fun. We're gonna have a whole bunch of fun, and it's and hopefully it's uh, um, pretty entertaining today. Get you guys ready for tonight's late matchup against. Mississippi State. Uh, with that, let's Travis. Let's just jump right into it. Um, so first, we asked our Twitter followers to kind of give us some recruiting and general basketball hot takes for us to debate. Basically, we said you guys give us the hot takes. We're going to debate them. We're going to call you crazy. We're going to say, "Wow, that's actually a pretty pretty solid point." We're going to dive into that pretty hard. Um, so we're just going to go right on down the list uh, with the hot takes. So the first one, <laughs> our friend Burke Franklin coming in hot with a pretty, pretty hot take. Terrence Clark and Brandon Boston will be the best one-two freshman duo for UK since John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins. Hot take. I yes mean, or no? Travis, I go mean, for it. I'm here for it. Um, I guess Fox and Monk was the last great freshman duo. Yeah. Trying to think before that. Well, I mean, you got Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd Gilchrist, one and two in the draft. I don't know. Can, can we even won a national championship? If this team <laughs> next year wins a national championship, we can start talking about that, Bert. But as of right now, that's a tough task. But I mean, overall skill set and NBA skill set for both. I mean, Anthony Davis is an alien in the league, but you look at what Michael Kidd Gilchrist is doing. I think that. Both of these players are going to be high-end NBA players and in, somewhere in between both of those guys. Can we even say that DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall are the best one-two duo? Well, I Can mean, we even DeMarcus say that? Cousins played 20 minutes a game because he couldn't stop fouling people. 
But in those 20 minutes yeah. that he was in, he was one Look of the Look at his was, per 40 numbers, and they're outrageous. Yeah. He averaged like 19 rebounds per 40 minutes. Man. Terrence Clark. Okay. So. All right. Can we put it? All right. I'm going to ask you, what do you think are realistic expectations for their combined points per game next season? I think that it's going to be fairly – because I think those are going to be UK's top two options. I mean, the, I mean, without a doubt, those are going to be UK's – two top-scoring options. They're, the ball is going to be in their hands pretty much the entire game, you know, unless, uh, you know, a Jonathan Kaminga comes in at the four, you know, another ball-dominant type player. Those are going to be your top two guys, and I don't know if Emmanuel Quickly is going to return. All You know, there's, there's so, many, so many things that go into it, but let's just say Devin Askew is the lead point guard who is a facilitator, he's not going to be a, you know, he, he's not going to try to take up too many, too many shots. The majority of the shots are going to go to those two. And if that is how it all unfolds, I'm going to, I'm going to say, hmm. I really don't know who averages more. I'm going to say 30, 34 points per game combined. How, how's the split look? I'm going to say, I'm going to say Terrence Clark, with 17, what I say, 30, 34. 34. I'm going to say, you know, we're going to go 17 apiece. We're going to, you know, it might be like 17.4 points per game I'll and like 16.6 or something. I'll give you that 18 and 16. I'll give you that. I, I, and I, but okay. <coughs> I think it'll be somewhere around there. Between the two, who's going to be the leading scorer? I think Terrence Clark is more of an automatic bucket at the college level. I think that Boston is – more of a dynamic scorer, but Clark is so good at getting it into the lane. Boston is too, but Clark is more physical. And at finishing in the lane, uh, he's better than Boston at this point in their career. I think he's going to live at the free throw line, and I think he'll edge out Boston. Did we bring up the little inside scoop that we learned uh, about uh, good old Terrence Clark, um, about how he is going to be used at Kentucky? Did we bring that up on the podcast last week? I think we've hinted at it, like – throughout the past couple of episodes, but I don't think we've officially said that that was the plan, but you had heard something okay. when you were up at Hoop Hall that so, made you say that that so, was the Okay, so while I was up in Ho- at Hoop Hall, I talked to somebody that knew knew extensively what UK's recruiting efforts were and how they were pitching all of the guys on their list. I mean, it was – it, it was better than anybody at it, one point. It was a pretty, uh, pretty in-depth conversation I had. And he said that one of the main pitches for for Terrence Clark to come to Kentucky was, and in, again, there are no promises. John Calipari doesn't promise anything. But the tentative plan is that Terrence Clark is going to be running point guard quite a bit. That 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 um, you know depend it de- it depends on if Emmanuel quickly is going to return. Uh, you know how Devin Askew looks in the in the early things, but they are tentatively planning on Terrence Clark being a primary ball handler quite a bit. And Travis, I'm going to give you props for that because when we have talked, we we've talked uh, extensively on this podcast in the past about how the players were going to be used and and kind of how we saw their fits. And you kept kind of hinting back at at the possibility of Terrence Clark being a Tyreek Evans type player. You kept saying like, man, he he just kind of seems like that fluid, that kind of that slithery type player that that we saw with Tyreek Evans at Memphis under John Calipari, and it really wouldn't surprise you at all if that's how they they tried to at least incorporate um, in, in spot minutes how they were going to try to incorporate Terrence Clark. So, oh yeah, I think I think Clark is excellent in ISO situations. I think 
like I said a minute ago, he's great at getting into the lane, drawing fouls. He can score a variety of ways. His, his step back, guys, I mean, his step back is NBA-style elite. It, he gets so much dribble separation on his step back. And if you get him against a defender in a one-on-one situation, I mean, it's lights out for the defender most of the time. Yeah. And, and this isn't us, you know, just because we say that, that they could both be 17-point-per-game scores, some, you know, give or take, a, you know, a couple points for, for, for each guy. You know, we, we are relatively I mean, very optimistic about both players. Um, but we're, I think Terrence Clark's going to be rather inefficient at times shooting the ball. B.J. Boston has been, you know, streaky, streaky to an extent. Um, you know, he, he can put up points in a hurry, but he, he goes through some cold stretches at, at, at times. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there were some times that Jamal Murray put up a ton of shots and, and Malik Monk would put up a ton of shots um, where, the, where the efficiency definitely wasn't there, where the points were, you know, the points still came, but um, we the, the, those inefficiency issues were there at times. And I think that's going to be a recurring theme with, with both B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark. I think at their best, they're going to be, you know, they could be 20-point-per-game scores, yeah. but at their worst, they can be kind of what we see with Tyre- guys like Tyrese Maxey who are, you know, who go through those stretches where they miss four, five, six shots at a time and, and try to get that get that rhythm back. Has there been a team since Cal's been in Kentucky when the two and three man were the best players on the team? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um... Two and three, man. I I can't think of one. I mean, the only I mean, Tyler Ulis and Jamal Murray. They, that was one and two. Uh, we saw one and two with De'Aaron Fox and, and Malik Monk, but I don't. I mean, I I really don't know when else they would be because remember, I mean, for so long Calipari struggled at getting elite threes in the yeah. first place. So it's really tough to get elite threes and have them be the best. You know under Calipari. It now that's been. what he's getting is, uh, like, the top-ranked three three men in classes. I mean, Terrence Clark is a two. Right. But, <clears throat> dang, can't stop coughing. But he's uh, he's going to play small forward at Kentucky, and he's got a small forward frame. I mean, he's 6'6". Six, six. That's a college-level that's a, that's a college three. Yeah. Yeah, but either way, um, it's it's a really good question. I don't I, – I, it's a little too hot takey for right now um, because – I mean, just because of how dynamic guys like Malik Monk and, and De'Aaron Fox were, um, got, you know, of course, DeMarcus Cousins, John Wall, I mean, the, you know, they speak for themselves. It's, it, it's going to be an interesting dynamic, but I, I think we need to slow down a little bit on, on that. I think they're going to be one of the most dynamic one-two punches that we've seen among freshmen at, at Kentucky. But to say that they are the best, I mean, that, that would since, since John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, that would literally be the best, the, the best duo since John Calipari has been here. So I, we're, we're not going to go that far yet, but it's an interesting, interesting uh, take nonetheless. All right, Cody Lockhart, kind of a hot take. Montgomery's sophomore year production is more disappointing than Scal's one season at Kentucky. Hold on, you talk on that for a second. I got to pull up some numbers. Okay. Um, I think the way you put it, kind of, kind of hot take is is true because um, because the PJ Washington sophomore jump for EJ was very, very apparent. The people inside the program thought, man, this kid is going to make that level of jump. He just has that skill. He showed in, in these NBA drafts. People kind of thought around the program that him testing the waters with the NBA teams and kind of proving his ability in front of these professional, you know, professional teams that 
it would kind of spark this confidence in him where he'd go, oh, wow, if I can do this against, you know, NBA-level talent during NBA, uh, you know, NBA workouts and, and against other, um, other NBA prospects, maybe I can do that same thing. And I think that, was, that kind of was, was part of the built-in confidence and optimism, you know, within the program that we were going to get a very, very, you know, a, a, a just a, a significant jump out of him. And I... I know we're already halfway through the season, and I know, I mean, shoot, already over halfway season through the season, I guess. But I, I still think that he is less of a liability than what Scal was by far. I mean, when Scal was in, you knew exactly that, that your front court was done, that you were going to get absolutely abused in the front court. I mean, shoot, remember that UCLA game early in the season with, when Scal was there, when he got beat by – uh, he looked like the penguin. What was it, Welch? Uh, Welsh. Uh, Welsh. Uh, yeah, he looks like the penguin from the Batman. Um, the, he, he just got absolutely destroyed by, by that guy. And it was like, gosh, if, we, if we're getting demolished by, by you know, six foot nine, 185 pound dudes, I mean, th- this team's not going to go anywhere. And that's what ended up happening. With, with EJ, it's a little, it's a little bit different because. We're getting stretches. We are getting six, seven-minute stretches out of EJ where you go, wow, that's, you know, I mean, shoot, I didn't think he played all that bad um, on the road against Auburn. I thought he had a lot of stretches, you know, several stretches where he was a pretty darn, you know, I think he only finished with two points, four rebounds, and three blocks, I think. That's not, you know, those aren't world-beating numbers, but in terms of his actual effectiveness and, and how he was able to kind of, um, you know, negate some of the some of the front court success of the Auburn big man, and I know that's not saying much because they absolutely torched him, he, it, was, it was a step in the right direction is what I'm saying. I'll say this. If you swap players back – if EJ played in Scal's – at Scal's time, and because if you look at it, Scal was Coach Calipari's guinea pig when it came to stretch bigs, and he had no – Absolutely no clue on how to utilize him properly. Tried to make him a back-to-the-basket player. This year he's letting EJ shoot jumper after jumper after jumper, and that's, that was a layup for Scal. If, you, if Scal was playing on this year's team, he would average at least 15 points a game just on mid-range jumpers because Cal learned his lesson through Scal. And people also have to remember that – I'll say this. I think, it is the mo- I think Scal is the most disappointing because he was arguably the number one player in the class. Yep. But that's not his fault that he's ranked that high. Right. He didn't play organized – like, you got to realize that – he was playing pretty much what a lot of us would consider like pickup ball where he was playing in high school. The same worries that we had about Dacian Nix because he didn't play on a, in a major shoe circuit, that's what we saw with Scal times like 10. Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of very loosely knew what we were getting with Dacian Nix and kind of the competition he was going up against. <laughs> Scal was on his own on his own planet in terms of, of you know, lack of competition at the high school level. I think, yeah, he just came in with unlofty expectations after he came in after all the good bigs that had came through in a row. He yeah. had Anthony Davis, Nerlens Noel, um, Julius Randle, Billy Colley-Stein, Carl Anthony Towns, and he had Scal. Yeah. Scal is different than every single one of those players I just named. And if utilized correctly, he would have been a star. Well, not a star. I don't think he would have been a star, but he would have been at least a double-figure score. He would have averaged uh, – I think he averaged six and three. He was never going to be a big rebounder, but it came down to – if if that team had Dakari Johnson on that team, if, on that oh. roster, and you allowed Scal to roam around the mid-range, I mean, and you had your back-to-the-basket score in Dakari, 
it would have been. Do you remember nice the, Do you remember that LSU game at home? What wasn't it? I think that was yeah, senior he, night. And I he think outshined Ben Simmons. Yes, he, he was hitting everything. He dominated, and everybody was like, "Wow, it a little you know a little bit too late here, bud." Because you know it, it, the season was already very much you know people people were already kind of giving up on on the year at that point. I mean, shoot, it was senior day, I believe. So yeah, um, yeah, well, and Scal. What was I going to say? Scout, um, his game isn't suited for college. It's suited for more of the spacing in the NBA, which he's a he's a decent NBA player. What? Yeah, he's fine. I mean. Nothing special, but he's yeah. fine. But, I mean, compared to what he was in college when you couldn't depend on – and I thought he was going to be an absolute stud. I forgot what his stat line was against New, New Jersey uh, Institute of Technology. It was, like, early in the season. It was, like, the first game. He had, like, 20-something points, maybe yeah. 30 and – Double-digit rebounds. I was like, "Holy cow!" Yeah, and I thought I was like, "This is somebody we've never seen before." Well, I talked to a a manager on the basketball team back then. Scoop going into the year, and that was. I mean, I was I wasn't even working at KSR back then. Um, I was just talk. I, I talked to him before the game, and he said, "Dude, he's here before the season started." He said, "Dude, that is Anthony Davis times two. I mean, just in terms of of how big he was and how guard-like he was. You know, they, he was like, man." He would he would bring the ball up the floor like a guard. He would I mean he literally catch a rebound and bring the ball up the up the, up the floor like a guard and like initiate the offense. And I remember going into it, I was like, "Wow, like that that is one heck of a you know that I was dreaming so big going into it based on that one conversation I had with that one manager." And then little did I know it was just an absolute nightmare from that point on. It was uh, oh. how many points? I mean, how many minutes per game do you think Scout played? Oh, what? 20? Less than 16, 15.8. Really? Yeah, and then EJ, EJ's numbers this year are, he's, hell, he, EJ, like, all right, EJ was off the bench the fourth big last year, uh, sometimes the third big, but most time the fourth big, and he averaged 15 uh, minutes per game last year as a freshman, and .7 less than EJ Montgomery did, and this year he's averaging 23 minutes per game. So, I mean, probably similar production. Uh, he's averaging just under seven points and just over five rebounds. And I'll say this, though. His player efficiency rating is trash. Who is? EJ's. Oh, really? Right now? 13.5. Wow. And just for what, – here, what? here, I'll tell you what Nick Richards is. Or I'll tell you what – let's see what Nate Sestina is. Nate Sestina – dang, KSR Wi-Fi – um, Nate Sestina's is 14.6, if that tells you anything. Wow. And that's the same Nate Sestina that had a negative 21 uh, plus minus in, what, was it 18 minutes? 18 minutes against Auburn? Yeah. So, the I mean, thing is, you have to play EJ against SEC opponents over Nate, because just to have athleticism alone. Yeah. Because Nate can't guard me or you in a high ball screen situation <laughs> i'm wrecking him i'm giving him buckets <laughs> okay yeah so to kind of to kind of summarize that whole thing I, I think the expectations for both players were um you know a little bit i think the people around ej played him at the guard spot too long because if you remember he was like one of the top guards in the nation as like an eighth grader and a ninth grader like early early in high school he was a guard but he was a big guard he was already like six five or so but he was dominating as as the starting point you guard ej ej yeah that's what like i said before on here somebody was saying that's close to him um and a lot of the georgia recruits said that 
they did him a disservice, <laughs> like playing him strictly at guard. Because I mean, at one point he's the number one player in in his class. In, was like, that eighth grade freshman eighth, year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think and, freshman year. He was the he was the DJ DJ Wagner of of his time, or the Mikey, you know, though that level of of, of player. Yeah, I I, th- I think it's just expectation. I think. I think EJ was rated incorrectly because of what he used to be as a guard, and people thought, oh, he was already a guard, and he people thought he would be the next Anthony Davis. They thought he already had the guard skills. He shot up to six foot ten, six foot eleven. Insert Anthony Davis part two. I'll, people thought that. For Kentucky football fans will like this comparison. Um, remember Danny Clark? Mm-hmm. He was a fringe five-star player earlier in his high school career. High four-star player was committed to Ohio State. Came to Kentucky, didn't do jack crap. Ended up going to JUCO, but he he had that four-star rating still because of how he never progressed. And I feel like that's the thing that happened with EJ in high school. If if EJ had come in as the number twenty-seventh player in the country, he's right on par. People thought people would think, "Wow, that is exactly." If if he was playing to what Keon Brooks' ranking is or, you know, some, Johnny Juzank, something along those sorts, people would think, wow, he is progressing exactly the way we that think he should. brings me to another reply on your tweet that 24-7 Sports had him ranked ahead oh. of Zion Williamson. Bryce Bush 97 said, yes, having EJ above Zion in the 24-7 rankings was probably the right call. I mean, yeah, uh, that's, I mean, a, ba- that's I was, a hot take. I will be the first to tell you that I didn't think that Zion would be what he was in college just based off of the the competition that he played in um, in high school for the most part. Looked like a JV team that he was playing against, and he was the only kid over six foot out on the court. But, I mean, uh, I mean, <laughs> he's still a top three player <laughs> at minimum last year, maybe four. Yeah. Coming out of high school, I would have given you top four. But – because. I just don't know how you put him at seven. I remember I saw him one time. I, I went down to the Adidas Gauntlet, and I saw Zion Williamson one time play against Emmanuel Quickly and his team BBC. It was uh, the what, – uh, what was Zion's team back then? The Spartanburg something. I, I can't remember what it – was, it was a South Carolina-based AAU team in, in the Adidas, Adidas circuit. And I saw him play one time – and I went home that day. I went back to the hotel that day, and I wrote an article. John Calipari has to get Zion Williamson. He has to. I said he has to get desperate if he needs to. You know, he needs to throw all of his eggs in one bag to close it out. And I remember I got destroyed on KSR. They were like, "No player is worth throwing all their eggs in one basket." Calipari needs to. You know, they were going. They were going at my neck for it. And that so was you're the one. Tell me. He wasn't worth it. Cade Cunningham wasn't worth it. Jalen, yeah. anybody? That's stupid. No, yeah, I, I got, I got destroyed for it. I mean, it, it was just something. If you, if you saw him play in person, and, and just saw the sheer dominance that he had against other guys his size, because I had the same, same issues with, that you had. Every highlight reel you ever saw of him was against JV level, you know, height. It'd be never saw him shoot a jump shot. Five foot, five foot eleven, if that. You know, little tiny white guys in no-name schools in South Carolina I versus Zion going up and, and dunking all dunking all over everybody. That's what it was. I thought that his ceiling was at the time. I thought it was a fair comparison. I, it blew this comparison out of the water, though. I thought his ceiling was Julius Randle. Yeah, I thought. I, I, a more athletic Julius Randle, a little bit shorter, and I thought both. I didn't know that Zion would shoot like he did. 
but I never thought that he would be the best player in college basketball since Anthony Davis. That he was. Yeah, that was a uh, – the, the, that was a player that the Kentucky coaching staff knew as soon as he went to as soon as he went to Duke that that was a that was a game changer and they ended up going to the same you know the same round but in terms of just knowing you know the Zion effect you know well, that was something that Kentucky just just craved they defense, wanted that if UK wanted to get Zion they would have had to put more than eggs in a basket yeah they would have had to put <laughs> uh, um, keys to uh, you know million dollar mansions and stuff never mind. That's a off topic. Anyway, that's a that's a uh, source to say after dark episode. <laughs> next uh, next hot take from Walker, uh, which is at Walk Thirty Five. Hot take: This will end up being the greatest recruiting class in Kentucky basketball history. We land Greg and Cliff, end up with three top ten draft picks, another Final Four run. We back. All right, if that happens, I think that it's got the best balance of any, but. I mean, numbers-wise, I don't think anything's ever going to beat 2013. Um, the Harrison Twins, Julius Randle was number two behind Wiggins. Uh, we had the number one, number one player at every position besides Wiggins. You besides forward, besides yeah. besides you Wiggins. had James Young, number one small. Uh, was he shooting guard? Yeah, he was, he was shooting guard. No, he was small forward was because he? because the Harrison Twins were number yeah. one, number two, or in number one point guard, number one shooting yeah, guard. Yeah, that's right. And then you had Dakari. He was number, number one center. center. And then, yeah, I mean, all those guys are top 10, 15. And then Julius Randle, number one power forward. Yeah. And, then, and then number two, I mean, uh, well, Jabari Parker was in that same class, right? Yeah. So oh, I think people back then were saying, oh, if we get Andrew Wiggins, we'll have the number one player at every position. At worst, if we don't get him, we'll have the number three player and, uh, you know, the number number three small forward in the class in, in James I'm Young. Going, oh, dude. Oh, oh bother. Like, all right. Right now, Kentucky has number four, number five, um, number 26, number 27, number 32, and number 42. And in 2013, I'm pulling this up now. They had number two, Julius Randle. Uh, Jabari Parker was number four. He was the number two small forward. Behind uh, Wiggins, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Aaron Gordon was number three. He was number uh, two power forward. Uh, so you had two five. Uh, Andrew Harrison was five. Aaron Harrison was seven. He was, that was, so you got the number one power forward, number one point guard, number one shooting guard. Then you have Dakari Johnson at nine, number one center. So you had, and then James Young at eleven, the number two small forward. Oh, number or number three small number forward. Number three sorry. small, yeah. Uh, so Wiggins, so four Parker and, uh, four number James ones Young. and number when one number three. Yeah, that's what I was saying. And then Derek Willis was a part of that class also. And he was a four uh, top one hundred. I think he dropped to like one twenty five, but at one point yeah, he was, he was like he was a at one point he was like three star. Yeah, at one point. Um, and yeah, then yeah, at one point he was like top fifty, top sixty. And then Marcus Lee was uh, top twenty five kid. I forget about Marcus Lee every time. Like he's the most. I don't know what it is about him. He's the most forgettable like recruit. Yeah. But yeah, he was the. He was number 19 overall, and it's loading right now. Marcus Lee was number 19? Yeah. Oh, it's not showing his position. Yeah, wow. he's, he's like a top seven uh, power forward. That, that class was power forward heavy. They had – looks like they had six or seven in the top 20. Wow, that's, that's but crazy. if you look at the balance next year, like that team had obvious flaws. Um, granted, they made it to the championship game with all freshmen starting lineup. 
But this year you're going to have Askew, great shooter. Um, he's a competitor, uh, going to win you some games, you're gritty. you got two great scorers in um, Boston and Clark. You've got a rim protector in Isaiah Jackson, a guy that outwork a lot of people down low in Lance Ware. And if you get Greg Brown and Cliff Almarui, Cliff is the true center of the class. Granted, he's a project, but he's the muscle of the group. Um, you got Cameron Fletcher also. I'll, I keep on forgetting him. Uh, could play the three or the four. Probably going to play small ball four. Kentucky athletic will buy into the defensive rebounding and realize that he's not a one and done. I think it's going to have a lot, a lot of chemistry there. And then if you had Greg Brown, that's just an absolute freak show at the three or four spot. What he can, he's he's got a lot of guard skills for real. He shoots like thirty some percent this year. Uh, really increased yeah. his three point shooting. And I think that if you add him, yeah. You can make that. You can literally make that argument. Yeah. Well, we when, when David mentioned, um, you know, one of the first podcasts that he that he came on. I think it was maybe two months ago, something like that. When kind of the entire recru- recruiting class kind of came to fruition after we got the the um, the signature from Isaiah Jackson was our last signee. Um, when we finally got him loaded up, or when when he when he came on board. David Sisk said that numbers-wise, it was the, what number two overall in, in Kentucky basketball in, in the John Calipari era behind that that class. So, yeah, it, um, number numbers-wise, it's there. It we just got it. It just it just depends on Greg and and Cliff. Those are the those are the two big two. Um, if not if not Greg, you know, you got to get a Paolo. You got to get some somebody like that to 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 for star rating and and if you yeah, want to if you want to stick with this hot take, that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I think Greg or if you want that if you want that best class ever, I think you have to have Greg or you have to have Paolo. I think you have to have one of those two secured. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go to our next Dustin Fugate says Paolo Banchero would have started for Kentucky this year as a 16, 17-year-old junior in high school. That's Hot the take. coldest take I've ever seen in my life because he would have been <laughs> better than junior Nick Richards this year. That man is a tank. and you he, say, Would he be better I, than Nick Richards? I mean, would he? better score. More. Oh, man. Dude, I, would, I, will, I will die on that hill for this, for this episode of the show. I think that Paolo right now. Granted, I'm I love Junior Nick Richards. I love him to death. Yeah, and I think he's been fantastic this year. Best big man, like uh, my boss at Cats Illustrated said, um, Justin Rowland. He said that he's probably the best big man since Carl Anthony Towns at Kentucky. Yeah, and I think that Paulo would have been better because Paulo is probably a top five or six player in high school right now. And Paulo is one of those elite guys. You look at him; he's six ten, like a true six ten. Can handle the ball like a guard. Can shoot uh, pretty lights out from three, and he can score in a variety of ways. And he's probably about two hundred forty pounds. I mean, I've I've gone on this show several times and said that Paolo is the guy. I mean, in terms of just just college ready 
you need a guy to go out there and get you 15 and 10. That is who Paolo is. He's a guy that could be an that would be an immediate in impact guy. And that's why I've said so many, so long. He does not need another year of high school. People if around him don't think he needs another year of high school. I think he's just being stubborn. I really think it just comes down to him wanting to have another year at the high school level and be with his friends and uh, you know all that. And it, I don't I get it. But I really don't get it because he could be one year closer to the NBA, one year closer to making millions of dollars, and be a be the premier guy in the front court for Kentucky. Like, what 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 else do you need? What else do you need? Think he would be stupid to return for a senior year. And one of the guys I talked to that is in the is in a recruiting circle of a good friend of his that they've talked about teaming teaming uh, can't talk teaming up at Tennessee or Kentucky or. North Carolina or Duke next year, Kennedy Chandler. Yeah. He's like, man, I keep on telling Kennedy, like, hey, he's, I doubt he's going to be in 2021. Like, I want to set your sights on that. Like, yeah. everybody that knows hoops knows that Paulo needs to go <laughs> to college this year. I mean, it's his, it's his life. It's his decision. But I think he'd be one of the best players in college basketball next year. And back to the question or the tweet before this talking about Greg Brown and Cliff being added in the best class I think if you add Paulo I think that I think Paulo is just so much more of a polished college ready yeah. player than Greg Brown I think Greg Brown's going to give you the highlights but Paulo's going to give you the consistent numbers Paulo's going to be the guy that <laughs> we, we were talking about he would be the best big that UK has had at well since Carl Anthony Towns but He'd be more comparable to Julius Randle. Like, you're going to get those numbers. At the minimum, he's going to give you 15 and 10. At the minimum. We were talking about why Dev, why we like Devin Askew so much. No, we don't think he's the best point guard in the country. We don't think that he's going to be a, you know, a, a 20, you know, 20 point, 10, re, 20, uh, 10 assist guy. You know, it's not about the numbers. It's not about, like, he, it's the fact that he is going to be a college-ready, game-changing game manager. And, 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 the perfect equivalent for that in terms of being a college-ready type guy, the perfect complement to him would be Paolo, you know? I mean, as much as, as, much as you know, Greg Brown would feast on alley-oops and, and, and put-back dunks and, and all of that, Greg would have a, a spot on this team. But you'll never convince me that Paolo isn't the guy to, to work into this offense. and, and fit. I mean, it would be just a seamless, seamless transition for, for Kentucky to, to bring him in and match him with the other pieces they have already there. That is the key to, to Kentucky's, um, as, this, as the last, last question said, um, to, be, to be arguably the best Kentucky recruiting class of all time. That is the, that, that's the key right there. Um, next hot take. When the Knicks determine whom their next president will be, John Calipari will get a call to interview for their head coach position. Hot take. I think I think Cal wants to win one more before he goes to the NBA. But I think he'll eventually be have a job in the NBA somewhere. I don't know if it'll be a coach, if it'll be a GM, if it'll be an executive. But I think he will ultimately be back in the NBA because that's where he failed before. And I think he wants to redeem himself in the NBA ranks. I have a hot take to return to, to return your hot take. John Calipari will be a governor before he is a head coach at the NBA level. I'll give you that before he's a head coach of the Knicks because the Knicks <laughs> is a dumpster fire. And I'd rather be uh, the governor of Indiana than the coach of 
the uh, if, if not if not governor, I think politics is one hundred percent. In fact, well, yeah, he he, he pol- is a living oh, politician. On here, I don't care. All right, yeah, he bullshits with the best of them. <laughs> he is the best BSer I've ever seen, he, and he can turn like he can make you. He can say something, and you can call him out about it, and he will make you feel like you're wrong. And like he never said it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never seen anything like it. John Calipari, why did you? Why did Kentucky only score sixty six points tonight? Well, the, are you sure it's sixty six points? Because if you if you no, factor the, in this, this, and this, did we? Did is that really how? No, the best what thing, the score said. The best thing why he would be a great politician is because he just dodges the question. You can ask him, <laughs> "Hey, how did Ashton Higgins play tonight?" Well, Johnny Juzang was just fantastic, <laughs> and he just says whatever he wants to say. You could ask him any question, and he's going to say whatever he wants. Yeah. No, it doesn't matter yeah. what it is. He is going to answer the question the way he wants to answer that question. And that's why I think he's hey, going to end up about, in politics before he's going to you know, take the next step as, in, in the NBA. What about the fouls in the Auburn game? Oh, Brad today. Brad was just lights out from high mark. <laughs> and I, I was sitting there with, with Ellen, and, and you know as soon as the coach pulls him out of the game, I go into the next room, and, and <laughs> it's like he just goes on and on and on. It's like he doesn't – Like he I has no useful inten- quotes here from my he, article. He has no intention of answering the questions at all. He, he wants to you know, go, go by the beat of his own drum, and that's just how – that's just how – he works. Um, well, I think that's enough on the. Well, okay. There's there's one more, one more hot take. Cal's refusal to adapt to the three pointification of basketball means we're never going to be as dominant as we were early on in his career. Hot take. I think we'll end it on that one. All right. I think that he wants to, but I think that this team is just so streaky and only has one consistent shooter and well you have one power forward that Nate Sestina that you can't keep on the floor that can hit from the outside pretty consistently for a big um, Emmanuel quickly everybody knows how good of a shooter he is Tyrese Maxey is streaky as hell uh, Ashton Hagens uh, like even when it goes in and hits three in a row you think the next one's going to miss but there's been games this year that he that they've shot 20 something threes yeah but they've made like three and or made like a low number of some sort and I think next year, I think this is just a bridge year. I think you're starting to see a few different wrinkles in the offense that you haven't seen before. But I think next year is the year that everything gets thrown together, that UK is without a doubt. Like, you're, like next year you're going to go through the whole entire season. Like this is a, this is a number one seed team. And you're never going to question it. Like, oh, this team's going to be there in the, final, in the final four. And I think that next year you look at well, – if Emmanuel quickly returns, like we talked about in the last episode, I think that you could say next year's team could be one of the best shooting teams that Cal's had here, if not the best. Because you'd have Askew, you'd have quickly who could play that Deron Lam, uh, Lamb role, um, be like a fourth, fifth, sixth option, and just fill it up from the outside. Um, you got Terrence Clark that can probably shoot 35%. You got BJ Boston can shoot 35, maybe 40%. If you get Paulo, he can shoot 35%. And I don't know. I I like the way the next year's that next year's team is uh, constructed. Yeah, and I think a lot of people kind of get on Cal's case about shooting, and, and I mean, I think a lot of it. I think a lot of it is is deserved um, to an extent. But he brought in Tyrese Maxey this year, who was who was 
you know, supposed to be a, a knockdown shooter. Johnny Juzang, knockdown shooter. Um, you know, Emmanuel Jamal Cook, Baker. Uh, uh, Jamal ba- Baker, he recruited to be a two, three-year player, which then he would have been, you know, that type of player. He tried to construct this team as, a, you know, as a shooting team. And just, you know, as Calipari said over and over again, I think this is a really good shooting team. I think this is a good shooting team. It's con- it's constructed to be a, a good shooting team, but they're not a good shooting team yet. Well, also another thing, <clears throat> another good point is if, like, whenever the lights come on and you play your first couple games, Cal found out that this team is fantastic at getting to the line. All three guards can get to the line. So why not drive them and – Time and time and time again, they're all great free, free throw shooters. Why not just consistently get them get them to the line over and over again? Yeah. Granted, I think the UK should attempt more threes, but I just don't think I think this team's so streaky at shooting that it. I don't know what Joe B. Hall ever saw in practice <laughs> saying that this was the best three point shooting team that Cal's had. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, we'll end the hot take segment there, and we're gonna um, we need to get out of here and, and get this thing uploaded so we can get to. The game tonight, but let's we'll, we'll kind of rapid fire um, some of the we the second question we act, asked was um, just to throw us some mailbag questions, whether or not they had some some recruiting questions that they that they wanted answered, and uh, uh, you guys asked some really good ones, so we'll we'll kind of rapid fire those and try to get them get through them as many as possible. Um, Jimmy, our friend Jimmy says, uh, would UK go after Jalen Green if quickly decides to leave? Um, That's ship sailed. I can tell you that. As much as as much as Jalen Green's camp might appreciate the uh, attention, I think that's a good way to put it. I think they they would appreciate to be recruited again. I think they love 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 Kentucky. At one point, I think he was going to Kentucky. Um, their camp desperately wanted him to go to Kentucky. A lot of people still want him to end up in Kentucky, but it's just, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think they, I think they kind of drew a line in the sand and had to decide between Terrence Clark and Jalen Green. They wanted to see who would commit first, and Terrence Clark was ready to ready to jump on that offer. And you know that that's how it all unfolded. It's a shame, but you know you got you you. Kentucky was left in the position where you could not tell Terrence Clark no if he was willing. You know you, you when when you have a top five kid ready to commit. You just can't tell them no, and that's just how it all unfolded. Whether you know, I know that the coaching staff desperately, desperately wanted uh, Jalen Green. It just didn't work out. That I, way. I think we could both agree that Jalen was the number one option throughout the whole process, even up until Terrence, uh, Terrence signed or committed and signed. But I think the 2015 team spoiled Kentucky fans a lot whenever it came to roster makeup. And if you add Jalen next year, there's not going to be enough shots to go around for those three alpha right. scorers. Yeah. And, and if, if people want Paulo too, I mean that's four top <laughs> five players. Paulo still a, he he still I mean he can he can make plays and pat he's a good solid passer, but he's a ball dominant score. I mean he's a guy that you you throw in the post and kind of like what we did with PJ Washington last year. You throw the, you throw him the ball in the post and you just say go to work. That's who Paulo is. So you know you, that's more touches for more players and it, you know it, it's just too many mouths to feed. I think. Kentucky, like you said, Kentucky fans got spoiled with the selflessness of that 2014-15 team, and unfortunately, I just don't think we're going to see something. I'm not saying we won't see another le- you know legendary team at Kentucky. I think that is going to happen, but a team constructed the way it was and kind of how just the chemistry and how it all kind of unfolded, it's going to be a long, long time before we ever see anything like that ever again in college basketball, let alone just at Kentucky. Um Jimmy asks uh, another question: Are there any rumors that can, 
that Kaminga's chances of reclassifying are slimming down? If so, is there any truth to it? Um, I'd still put my money on him reclassifying. I do. I think I think no matter what, he's going to wait until the spring to decide. Uh, may, maybe even he, he might even be a peach jam, you know, peach jam type decision, just like Paolo might be. Um, I'm, I'm to the point where I I think he's just too dang good to yeah. play, to play another year of high school ball. And even if he doesn't play at, at, the, at the college level, which I would put my money on, I think it's ninety percent, ninety five percent college. I think that yeah. I think he could that. The pro, like if something kept him from going to college, I think he would explore pro options just because I don't, I think he's too good to not get paid to play basketball. Yeah, I agree. Um, in in terms of, of schools, I still think Duke is the leader. Um, but I, I, I think, I think Kentucky is still, um, you know, still flirting, sending their feelers out and, and letting them know that, um, that they would welcome him with open arms. Um, I think that is a dream scenario for Kentucky. And, and I don't think it's a done deal that he's not going to end up there yet. I still think Kentucky's in pretty, pretty solid position there. Um, I, I'd still put my money on Duke if I had to put money on anybody, but, um, it's still a long way to go. That's, that's something that's definitely benefiting both, you know, Kentucky with guys like with, with all three of Greg Brown, Paolo, and and Jonathan Kaminga because they are are all late spring additions. No matter when they come, so um, that that is definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, Justin Tucker asks, "Is there anything on this McCur Maker dude?" Reading between some some tea leaves, but just curious. Um, I don't think he's going to end up in Kentucky, no matter the situation. I mean, I think. He is a type of guy that Cal- that Kentucky could probably get in a hurry if they needed to. If if Kentucky struck out on everybody else, Cliff ended up. You know, if they get to the position where Cliff goes to Arizona State, Greg Brown goes to Auburn or Texas or Memphis, and and uh, you know Paolo stays in class of twenty twenty one, and they need more bodies, that could be, and you know they they could take a take a flyer on a guy like McCurmaker, but I think I think he's just hell bent on going to the going to the pros. And I were I'm really not all that impressed by, by McCur at all. When I saw him at Hoopal Classic, I, I was really not impressed at all. Um, I don't know what your thought, thoughts are on him, but uh, I, I'm gonna say hard pass on on the McCurmaker yeah, hype train. I think hard pass. I think as well as UK's roster is constructed next year, I think uh, McCur is a great player in his own right but I don't think that he would fit the chemistry that UK is building and I think there'd be a few too many egos with him especially and yeah I think he's just gonna end up going pro I don't think Kentucky's gonna end up barking up that tree Adam Hun bunch of numbers says will Kentucky offer anyone else in the class of 2020 if so who dude mm-hmm. you know who I've has been blowing up that I was tweeting about earlier. I don't think you. I don't think he's on UK's radar. But who's somebody I would like to see UK uh, reach out to is. Have you heard of Eric Gaines from Georgia? Yeah, Lithonia? And, and I think somebody asked. Keep talking, but uh, yeah, uh, anything on Eric Gaines? But he's and, a late bloomer. Yeah, uh, athletic. Uh, he's got Alabama and LSU visiting him this weekend. He he's number eighty-seven in the rivals database. Probably end up like high four-star. I think he's a future pro explosive, uh, sees the floor really well. And some people who I really trust their opinion on high school basketball players were the ones that that discovered him and got him into the limelight. And then the national scouting agencies started uh, ranking him. And I think that – I think UK needs another point guard next year, especially if quickly it was to leave. I think that that is the scenario for it to happen. I think if if they kind of get, I think Kentucky is going to actively pitch um, pitch Emmanuel quickly on being the lead guard next year. I think they're going to say, "Dude, 
look at what you know. We kind of gave the keys to Ash and Hagens in the same way that we did that this year. Is as impressive as you are. I mean, shoot, he's been a 17 point per game scorer over the last what 10 games, whatever, whatever it was. He's been on on that hot stretch lately. I think they are going to pitch the idea of him leading the way next year and kind of being being the lead guard with Devin Askew coming off the bench and being the, the secondary point guard option. Well, if, if that's pro- the case, then then obviously no. I think they're they're done in, in, in the guards. But We've talked about Quickly's pro aspirations a lot on the show. I think that that would be something that Cal's never done at Kentucky or maybe ever that I can remember um, at Memphis or UMass is a guy that's playing off ball for two seasons that – has been in the program as long as he has, which is rare in its own right at Kentucky, to switch switch positions and increase his uh, chances of being a pro. Because, I mean, like we talked about before, I think quickly his best – like it might be his highest ceiling right now, uh, highest pro ceiling right now. But I think that overall in the long term, he's got to have to be the lead guard in, at the next level. But, yeah, if he, if he was to leave, I'd be really down for Kentucky offering another point guard. Or going the grad transfer route, or to really solidify Paolo, you go for Kennedy Chandler to reclass. Well, see, I heard rumblings a while back that Kentucky was pushing for that from somebody that I that knows him really well. Like early on in his recruitment, that they were kind of hinting and kicking the tires on him possibly being a part of the twenty twenty class. But and he's he is an, like just like what we, what we like about Devin Askew, he's he is just another gritty, grinded out type point guard that led the way for uh, for uh, you know he was the lead guard on Mocan that won Peach Jam this past year against team against Team Why Not and, and, and Devin Askew. So that's you literally are talking about two very very comparable type players. You know, if you, if if that situation happens, Emmanuel quickly leaves. You go. You know what? Screw it. Let's try to get. Let's try to get both. As these of today, up. I mean, Chandler hasn't visited yet. Visited Kentucky yet? But I um, maybe something will come out after that. But as of right now, I don't see him at Kentucky. Yeah. When, whenever he decides to go, but I mean, that'd be one hell of an option, especially if you're trying to get Paulo. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think that's that's something that we would just have to see. I mean, that, that's, that'd be just kind of a, one of those wait-and-see type things, last-ditch effort. Hey, man, stuff happened. We lost out on Manuel quickly. He ended up going pro. Can we salvage this? Can we figure something out? Because, that, I think that's kind of how it would have to unfold. You, whoever you go after, if you decide to go after a second high school point guard or a grad transfer, they know that they've got a chance to start next year. Because, yeah. I mean, Askew's great in his own right, but – He's not uh, John Wall that you can automatically pencil yep. in. He's not a De'Aaron Fox that you can automatically pencil into the starting lineup. And what makes this whole dynamic work is that I don't think Askew is expecting he, – he, Askew didn't come to Kentucky expecting to have the keys handed to him. When, when Cade Cunningham didn't go to Kentucky – I don't think he thought in his right, you know, he might have thought, yes, my role will, will be more prominent without Cade, but I don't think he came in expecting Cal Perry to just hand him the keys and just say, okay, you're leading our team, have fun. I think they understood that it's going to be a process. They're, they're, you know, there's still going to be some dynamic pushes. If they still push for Cade, they're obviously going to, you know, they could push for, you know, another late bloomer. You know, the, there are still moving parts to this. They just wanted to make sure they had Askew in their back pocket, and when that became very clear, that's kind of how how everything un- unfolded. Askew and his camp do not 
you know, they're, they're not demanding anything. They are very comfortable in letting the process play out and letting him earn his minutes and, and potentially being here they two years. They're getting and, into. And yeah. Whenever you have a – not even just the player, but whenever you have a whole family and support system like Askew has – He's going to be a terrific locker room guy, depending yeah. no matter what the situation is. Yeah, he's he is. He's going to get minutes next year, either either starting or off the bench. So, it, I mean that that points. Well, no shoot one, for for the longest time this this season, Emmanuel quickly technically came off the bench before they before. Tyrese Maxey Cal- came off the bench a lot. Yeah, it, it's like, but quickly was still averaging thirty minutes a game. Like he's yeah. still getting starter level minutes. It, it's I think I, at the bare minimum next year, ask you averages. 18, 20 minutes a game. I, I think it, he could twenty. I think you could say twenty-two, twenty-three minutes yeah. minimum. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think. I think his. I think his max is probably going to be a thirty-minute type guy if they want him to lead the way. But if not, I, I would not be surprised if he was still a twenty-two, you know, twenty-minute, twenty-minute guy, um, in the slightest. Uh, we'll we'll wrap it up. We'll we'll do just a couple more here before we get out of get out of here. Um, if pa- Cody Lockhart says if Paolo does ult- eventually reclassify, who will be the major big man targets for UK in 2021? Uh, grad transfer. The, uh, 2021? Oh, 2021. Um, if he does reclassify. Oh, I, got, I, oh, I misheard you. Um, Frank Kepnang will be one. Uh, Brandon Huntley Hatfield. That's I feel like the guy. I feel like he's really – I th- feel like it's no-brainer. He's getting up re- reclassifying. And um, I think Kentucky's a lock right now. And then I, I don't think – I think that if you got those two guys, or at least one of those guys to go along with, I would be shocked if uh, Isaiah Jackson or Lance Ware is a one-and-done player. Yeah. If you got sophomore versions of them, plus Brandon Huntley-Hatfield, who's got a very high ceiling, is a really good stretch big, can shoot very well from the outside. I think that, and then if you get Frank Kepnang or somebody like that, that there's going to be somebody pop up that, isn't really on Kentucky fans' minds right now. Yeah. But – or um, Musa Sisse, somebody like that. You know, I, I don't think as of right now, like I said before, this could change, but as of right now, I don't see him in Kentucky. I think it would be Memphis or LSU, some someplace like that. Yeah. Um, but I think that that would be a great front court core. Bobby Herm asks – is Kentucky still recruiting uh, Travis Graff's favorite player, Kai Soto? He did not say. Uh, he did not say Travis Graff's favorite player, but he is your favorite player. Uh, how far down is he on the board? If he could run, <laughs> uh, if he could run full court and probably under f- like four seconds, four seconds or less, then he'd be a top five player in this class. But when you run the floor in about eight seconds. <laughs> that's <laughs> zero to 60 in 3.5 I mean, years. <laughs> it's just, I think he's very skilled. I think he's skilled as all get out. It has a terrific toolbox of moves, but he's just, going to be balling at the YMCA. He's going like to be 75. Riley Welsh or whatever his name was from um, UCLA. Yeah. Looks um, like he's no. Riley Welsh is, is our walk in walk on. What was it? Thomas. Thomas, Thomas Welch? Welch, the one that Something played like that. at the Welch that played at UCLA, the, the, that the, was the, slower than my grandmother in a wheelchair. <laughs> and well, you could get her rolling then, pretty fast on the hill. Yeah, and, I mean, he, he looked that way. Welch looked that way against Kentucky. He lit up Kentucky a couple times, but um, yeah, I think that I think Soto is going to be very good in the right scheme if he goes to college. I think he's going to be good in the right scheme. Um, the two places I've seen mentioned for him, Kentucky and Auburn, I just don't see how he fits into what they're wanting to do. Oh, gosh. Could you imagine him in that Auburn offense? Wolf. Yeah. But <laughs> I think I think he would be doing himself a disservice. 
But, I mean, who knows? He might go to college, average 20 and 10 at Auburn or Kentucky. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> but, yeah. Jason, big blue brain, says, does Kentucky have a legit chance at landing Kaminga for 20 or 2021? Uh, probably not high. I'm not going to say high. We've already talked about. Say they're in the bottom of the top tier of schools. Yeah, and that's that's still in yeah. contention. That's still in contention. I'd say top four, top just, three. Just not. Um, they're not the favorite right now. I don't think. And I think uh, if it ended today, it'd be Duke. Um, if Kentucky leaves, who else would one run point guard apart from Askew? Kentucky Blue 4L. We already uh, talked about that. Um, Ash K uh, asks, what's up with the weight for Omar Rui? Um, I think what we kind of talked about in the past, I think that they're just, they know, UK, UK knows that they have other options that they like way more, and they know that there's a chance that he doesn't end up at, at Kentucky. If, if Omar Rui goes to Kentucky today and says, hey, I need, I'm making my decision this weekend, I think Kentucky would go, all right, well, it was, it was nice knowing you. Appreciate it. Good luck. If UK really wanted him, if they really, really, really wanted him, they he would already been signed. Yeah, that's what that's my feeling on that. And I think, like you said, like the other day, he played an elite big man and had zero points and four rebounds, and the other guy had like twenty and twenty. And I just think that he's like Nick Richards was a project, but this guy is a project. Project, <laughs> yeah, de- definitely a project. Um, I think Calipari should take – this is kind of in the hot take section. I think Calipari should take a few players in the 75 to 100 range just so we don't end up with a short bench like this year. I said the same thing about J.J. Trainer. You know, That's what I you wanted. Know what would have been great on this year's team is a Travian Hollingsworth or that, yeah. uh, Kai Kai Tandy. Oh, uh, yeah. Or, yeah, J.J. Trainer. I mean – yeah. Um, well, I think with that, I think we've gone through all of them. Who, okay, well, this, we'll end it with this one, the transaction, because it's a good one. Who could be this year's Julius Randle, meaning who could really surprise us and choose Kentucky instead of the perceived favorite? I think Greg Brown's that guy. I think 100% Greg Brown, because he has been so close to Vess. Everybody's kind of assumed that Texas has been the leader. Because, I mean, I, I, like similar to what – remember, Kansas was the leader mm-hmm. for Julius Randle yeah. for the longest time. Similar situation to this. I think everybody has just – known the relationships with Texas and let me tell you like Texas is a legit legit contender I think they're slipping a little bit with how how bad the season is I think Shaka Smart's uh, job security is in question right now 100 percent things are kind of changing as as it's going on but as of right now I think because of how much things are changing and how how the text how Texas season is not going going to plan um, how he's starting it seems like he's starting to flirt with other teams and being more and more interested in other teams how things are kind of just unfolding, that would not be surprising to me at all if Kentucky ended up just, so, you know, if, if Memphis gets, you know, he doesn't, if, if, I think he'll want to go somewhere with other star talent. And if Auburn doesn't get Jalen Green, to, if Jalen Green, Sharif Cooper are, are there and saying, come on, Greg, we, let's, we, we want you part, uh, a part of this team. That is something that would entice him. But if Jalen Green goes to Oregon, a team that we're, that we're not expecting, or go, goes overseas, that's something I don't see Greg Brown going to Auburn. If Memphis gets hit, hit with sanctions or, uh, well, you know, the coaching staff gets, you know, shifts up a little bit or, or they don't get Jalen Green and, and, you know, their recruiting class right now is garbage. They don't have anybody locked up. If 
that doesn't go there, I don't see Memphis being the leader because he's not going to go to a, a team by himself. Texas, same situation if Shaka Smart gets fired. I think so many things could happen to where Kentucky just kind of finds themselves in position as, as, the, as the favorite at the very end of the day, and, and they end up, he ends up signing in the dotted line. That would be my, my equivalent to Julius Randle in, in that recruitment. See, I think there's only two guys you could put as like a true Julius Randle. There's a, a.k.a. there's a perceived leader and somebody else, and then UK swoops in and steals him, and that is either Greg Brown or Jonathan Kaminga. Yeah, but Kaminga is a bit yeah. Yeah, but I would say a guy that it's similar situation, but it's not completely uh, the same. Is a guy that could end up at Kentucky that's been de- denying, denying, denying is Paulo. Is like he he could reclass last minute and go to Kentucky. That would be the equivalent of like UK would be defeating him. Or defeating the 2021 class instead of another school. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. There, it's kind of crazy that all three of their major options at the end of the day could all fit under that under that category. That's pretty interesting. So we'll end it there. We're gonna go straight to our interview uh, with with uh, New York Wrens coach Andy Borman to talk about who Lance Ware is as a player and a little uh, little scoop on on Jonathan Kaminga there at the very end. Uh, with that, uh, Travis, uh, let them know where they can find your work. You can find me on Twitter at Trav underscore Graf. You can find um, my other podcast, the Cat Scan Podcast, on all uh, podcast platforms. You can find it on Twitter at Cat Scan Pod with a K. And you can uh, fo- you can find my work alongside our other co-host, David Sisk, on uh, Cats Illustrated on the Rivals Network. And uh, with that, we will go straight to our interview with Andy Borman. Well, I mean, first and foremost, um, you know, I kind of talked to Coach Brunson about Lance yep. kind of as a, as a person and all that um, at, at Hoop Hall. But I kind of want to get your take kind of seeing him through the, the AAU circuit and, and kind of seeing his growth from there. What, um, what, what do Kentucky fans need to know about who Lance Ware is as a person before we even get, get into who he is as a player? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he, he's great, really. Like, you, you guys – I think he's a kid that they're going to cheer for, you know, because he, he plays hard. He's a good teammate. There's no, you know, there's no nonsense that comes with him. You know, he's, he's a good, approachable, you know, smart, kind young man, you know. So I think uh, some kids – all kids deserve to be cheered for, but he's he's easy to cheer for. I know um, Coach Brunson, Brunson kind of mentioned something along the lines of that he's he's one, easily one of the most coachable kids that he's ever come in contact with, just in terms of you never have to question w- what he's going to bring to the table in terms of just effort and intensity. You know that he's going to show up at, at the gym mm-hmm. every single day that, that you know he's there and he's going to give it your all. What, what kind of value do you see in that uh, in terms of you know what you've seen from him and, and kind of what John Calipari is going to get from, from that side of things? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's ultimate value in that. And I think that, uh, you know, so- some guys and, – and look, there, there's an adjustment to be made entering a school like Kentucky, no matter what you bring to the table. Um, but I do think Lance's willingness to be coached 
and I think his motor and his drive, you know, are, are I think it's going to help. You know, like the, there's always a transition involved because Kentucky is such an elite institution basketball-wise. But I think for him that transition will be, you know, as smooth as it can be. And, you know, him getting acclimated will happen as rapidly as it can because I don't think I don't think that staff is going to have to coach effort. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, some kids you have to coach effort until they understand that that's your job. Um, you know, but with Lance, I think he already understands that. And what that means is that you can just coach basketball, you know, as a, as opposed to having to coach basketball and effort. Yeah. Um, and I know last time it, well, I guess I can kind of talk about what John Calipari has been. Coach Cal's been kind of in, in all of his media opportunities and, and post-game press conferences. Kind of the one of the main things he's been stressing uh, is that that he's really trying to – he's struggling with this team in terms of just effort and intensity and fight. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I know we, we talked last time that that is literally exactly what Lance brings to the table. You know, in terms uh-huh. of uh, in terms of what – you know, his, his on-court stuff, um, you know, what – just kind of give, give fans a little preview of of Lance Ware as a basketball player and, and kind of what they they should expect to see when when he finally gets on campus. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think he's a multiple effort kid, you know, and and I think he's really embraced that, and that's become part of his identity. You know, is is the fact that you know he, he's going to go after the first rebound, the second rebound, the third rebound. You know, he's going to go. He's going to go to the rim to finish. And if he doesn't, he's going to get the offensive rebound and go again. You know, like he, he's just a multiple effort guy and he, he doesn't give up on possessions. He doesn't give up on opportunities. He doesn't give up on his teammates. You know, he's a fighter. Um, and that's why I said, I think that's part of the reason that, you know, he, he's, like I said, I, I just look very, very rarely does this kid step on campus and just blow everyone's doors off. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a transition involved. I just think that he's going to be embraced because of his effort and his drive and his motor. Uh, on that note, I don't know if if you got the chance to to see, but his performance at the Hoop Hall Classic against Evan Mobley yep. kind of—I mean that yep. that turned heads like like no other. I mean, you're talking about the number one center in high school basketball, and Lance Ware. I mean, just flat out 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 hustles him, out physicals him. I mean it. Yep. I mean there. I mean there were a couple instances that I mean Lance was throwing throwing elbows down low and just kind of just out muscling him and and you know bouncing you know Evan Mobley, who again is is literally the top center. Pro- prospect in, in high school basketball kind of tossed him to the side like like he was you know 130 pounds and and you know I know you you said in the past that um he might be you know a, a top 40 player right now but yeah. the more and more you watch him play the more you know that that he plays more like a a top 20 top 15 type player you know kind of just talk about that development from from the top 40 player that that you kind of saw when when you first got got your hands on him and kind of what he is now and 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 just kind of that development that that you've seen with with him yeah i mean look it's you know th- these rankings 
are a mixture of a bunch of different factors. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not just, you know, th- these rankings aren't just who you are right now. You know, these rankings are also, it's not just production, it's potential. You know, the, the, the thing with Lance is that, you know, some kids have one or the other, you know, they have massive production and they are just kind of who they are. And some kids have massive potential, but they haven't really put it together yet. And they haven't figured it out. Everybody says they're going to be good down the road, you know, and you know, those are kids for me that are hard to coach because you're kind of saying like, all right, well, that's great. But when is down the road, yeah, yeah. you know, when, when, it, when, when does that occur? Um, you know, whereas with Lance, you know, look, he, he's, he's just starting to scratch the surface mm-hmm. of who he is as a player. But by the way, while he's realizing his potential, you're still getting production. And, and I think that's the thing, you know, with him, that is so exciting. And I think it's exciting to watch as a fan. I think it's exciting to watch as a coach, but I think it's also exciting for the kid, you know, himself. And I think that, you know, he, he's, he's kind of got a fire that's getting brighter and brighter and hotter and burning hotter, you know, because he's seen the production kick in, you know, and, and he'll go into a game you know, like that one against Evan Mobley, where, you know, that kid is being touted as, you know, potential, potential, potential. And Lance is like, hey, yeah, you know, that's that's fine. But you, you've you got to work with me. Right. You know, if, if you're going to get the better of me, you know, you're going to have to work as hard as I do. And you're going to have to fight as hard as I do. You know, because the thing with Lance is, you know, he's going to bring it, you know? And, and I think, I think there's something to be said there. You know, I, I really do, you know, for the fact that like, you know, th- this kid is going to leave some skin in the game. And so like, you, you gotta, you gotta walk into that fight saying you're willing to do the same thing. And if you're not, then you're going to get beat up. And if you are, you know, then you know, then it's going to be interesting to watch, really. Yeah, and, and kind of on that note, kind of one of his – when you, you look at his scouting report, a lot of people say high floor. You know, he, he's one of those high floor guys that, you know, right away he might not be a – you know, in fact, I think Coach Brunson, Brunson even said, if you're expecting a 20-point-per-game type guy, that's really not who he is, at least right away. You know, right away, you can kind of expect him to come in and, and be a six and five, six and six guy immediately. That's kind of the the absolute lowest that you're that you can kind of expect from him. But in terms of ceiling, it, it kind of seems like that potential is growing as his confidence is growing. If if that makes sense, like you're, we're starting of to course. kind of get we're, we're we're starting to get kind of a a high ceiling, high floor, you know, kind of mix with him where where you know you're going to get at least it, it, you know, at least some production immediately and. And how much he can bring to the table year year one, year two, however that may be, it kind of seems like that's coming. Do you think that's kind of a fair fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, here's what I'd say: is like he's the type of kid that you know, I'm not a box score guy, but he's the type of kid that there's never going to be a zero in his box score. Right? There's not like in every 
single category. He's going to rebound. He's going to block shots. He's going to have assists. He's going to score. You know, like he's he's going to put numbers in every single area of the box score because of his effort, you know, because he plays so damn hard, you know, and because he's willing to play that hard, he'll play to exhaustion, Mm -hmm. you know, and so you're never going to get a zero, you know, you're Mm -hmm. just not. And then look, because you don't have to coach effort with him and because, you know, when he gets there, those guys can coach him on basketball. Then I think what you'll see is, you know, more than anything, the consistency from him, you know, because, you know, as he gets coached and gets to develop his skill set, you know, that's where you'll see, you know, instead of it being, you know, a 16 and then a four Mm -hmm. and then a 16 and a four, I think you'll see instead of it kind of, kind of looking like a heart monitor, I think you'll see, you know, you'll see kind of like a steady incline, you know, because he brings, he already brings the things that none of us want to coach. Yeah. You know, like, like not, none of us want to coach effort. Yeah. You know, pl- please don't make me coach effort. <laughs> you know, like, you know, let, let me coach basketball. That, that, that's where I can, anyone can coach effort. You know, let, let me, you know, let, don't let me be a motivational speaker. Let me be a basketball coach. And, and that's what Lance lets you do. Now, I know with this with this Khalil Whitney deal and, and, and kind of him transferring out and, and just, I mean, him being fairly vocal that that experience did not go as, as he planned. Him being, you know, in that New Jersey area. Um, is, do you, have you talked to Lance? Has he listened to that? Um, do you, or, you know, is his mindset different? different than than kind of what what Khalil's was and I know you you, you know I, I don't know if you yeah. know of, of Khalil's mindset I, I in particular but. I mean he here's what someone asked me that question the other day um you know I, I don't I don't know Khalil you know mm-hmm. so right. I, I just know Lance um but he, here's what I would say is like this happened this is not a you know, this is not an issue that is specific to Kentucky. Yeah, right. You know, like like literally every and and I I played at Duke and graduated from Duke, mm-hmm. and so I, I I speak about my own program. Every couple years, there's a kid that leaves at the semester mm-hmm. for whatever for whatever reason. You know, for like that that is not like that is not an alarming thing. Like, look. If you're going to go to the best of the best, there are 13 kids there under scholarship that when they walk in, they all think that they're going to be one of the five. Yeah. And it's just mathematically impossible for that to happen. You know, but every single kid that steps on Kentucky's, Kansas, Duke, you name it, like the truly elite programs. Every kid that goes there, no matter what their ranking is, no matter how many stars they have, they think they can play. And by the way, they should. Yeah. You know, they should because part of these kids getting to the point where they're that good is them believing in themselves. You know, like if, if, 
if Lance Ware listened to other people, he may have stopped playing basketball a long time ago. He may not have developed into who he is. Like, like these got these kids are out. First off, they believe in themselves. And second of all, they don't listen to that. They think they can prove people wrong, you know? And so I, I personally, you know, personally believe speaking, you know, cause I coached Lance and speaking for the other kids that I coach when, when they see something like that happen, what their mindset is, is like, well, that'll happen to him, but it ain't going to happen to me. Yeah. You know, and, and they have to think that way. That's part of why they're good. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's unfortunate, you know, you, everybody wants everyone to succeed, but like I said, I mean, you know, yeah, you, you got 12 to 13 scholarship kids and you got five that can start and you got eight that are going to have a meaningful, like really big impact, consistent role. Mm-hmm. They're going to be kids that don't have that, right? you know, and, and those kids are going to have to make a decision and they're either going to stay and fight or they're going to go, Yeah, you know, and, and not talking about others, but I can talk about Lance. He's going to stay and fight like that. That's, that's, that's who he is, you know? So I don't think anyone else's experience or anyone else's problems affect him. Like, I, I don't, I don't think that's what it is. And, and then the other thing with, with Lance and, and we have these conversations and I had it with the kid, RJ Davis, mm-hmm. you know, who's my point guard who's going to UNC. Yeah. And I had, it, I had it with Lance and I had it with another one of our kids, Ethan Morton, who's going to Purdue. Right. You know, like know what you're signing up for. Like, no, like this is high major basketball. You're walking into a place where there's already a lot of talent. You're, there's already there's talent that is there and you're coming in so there's more talent and by the way if if you're there your sophomore and junior year these guys aren't going to stop recruiting mm-hmm. there's going to be talent, talent coming in behind you and if you don't want that then you need to go down and there and every single one of these kids no that's exactly what i want how can you be the best if you don't play for the best if you don't play with the best, that's the way their mindset is, is, you know, so when I see, you know, you know, a kid transfer, you know, at any of these places, yeah. literally, like, I don't even raise an eyebrow and, and I don't think our kids do either. Cause that's what you're signing up for, man. Yeah. Cause I, in, in my conversation with, with coach Brunson, I asked, you know, biggest strength, big, biggest weakness strength. He said, uh, you know, he runs like a deer, protects the rim, rebounds, extremely coachable, you know, all, all of those things and, and kind of emphasize his fight and, and, and that kind of thing. But when I asked about weakness, he, he almost, he, he said that there are times that, that he gets down on himself and self-confidence is, is an issue at times. And I was just kind of wondering how that dynamic worked where, you you know he is an all effort guy you you know he's going to you know be intense at all times but you know would that would that self, lack of self confidence at times you know creep up if if he isn't one of those top 8 his freshman year or something like that so so yeah it, it is 
it is an interesting dynamic to you know for you know the, at least what what you're you're saying that Whoa. that he's he's at least going to maintain that you know that fight intensity he's at least not going to back away from the battle even if he isn't one of the the top top options right away if that makes sense yeah i mean i mean here yeah it does make sense and and what i'd say is like as coaches you know you know coach bronson you know has lance at camden and and i had lance with the rims you know like we see more Mm-hmm. You know, like we, we see more because we see these kids in a closed practice environment and we see them when we travel and, you know, like we see them in the hotel room at team meals, you know, all that. So we're going to see Lance, you know, after a game where he's frustrated, but what you're not going to do is you're not going to see it on the court, okay? you know, because he's going to keep fighting, you know, he, he literally... You know, like, and, and by the way, the other thing is, these are kids with big dreams, man. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, like, the pressure that they put on themselves is more than enough. But then the pressure that is put on them by external factors, you know, like, the most confident kid in America, I promise you, he's frustrated. Yeah. And I promise you that he has doubts, you know, like, and, and those are the kids we coach, you know, like literally those are like these guys, like they're not robots, you know, they have frustration, but the thing with Lance is, you know, look, man, if, if he gets frustrated, he'll play through it. You know, he's going to save that for, for after the game, you know, like, so, you know, once again, you know, can he get better at it? Sure, of course he yeah. can, but he's, he's, you know, 17, 18 years old. You know, I, I, I look at him and I look at his composure and his fight and his toughness physically and mentally. You know, when I was 18, golly, I wish I had it together like that because yeah. <laughs> my frustration would spill over on the court. You know, I, I was a, I was a mental case, you yeah. know, so, you know, th- these guys, you know, and, and that's why I said with Lance, I look, man, he's not just a production guy. It's not like he's tapped out. Like he's got a lot of areas to continue to improve on. If he didn't, he wouldn't be going to Kentucky. You know, so the good news with him is is how successful he is. But the great news with him is what he can be. You know, so that that's the part that's really fun. So. I know we we kind of talked a, a whole bunch last time about you know Jonathan Kaminga and kind of that dynamic between Lance and 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 him. Do you know the, you know an updated look on on Kentucky's stance with not not in terms of of how well they're doing in their recruitment, but in terms of of you know Calipari still going all in and 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 Lance Ware potentially recruiting him to to Kentucky. I know that they have been kind of flirting with the idea of put of of playing Kaminga at the four. Um, and, and kind of just doing a, a small ball lineup. Do you know any update on that? And, and, uh, and not, just kind of that. Not really. I, I, I don't just because, you know, specific to Jonathan, you know, he, he's so focused right now on this season he's actually in, Yeah. you know, so, you know, it, I, I think that when his high school season's over and, and he can take a deep breath and, and, you know, then he can start looking at that type of stuff. Um, but, you know, the, look, the good thing with a kid like Jonathan is that you can play him almost anywhere. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you, you can slide him all the way up to the ball and you can slide him all the way down to the four and his, his versatility is great. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's great because he's not, he's not like a, a positional kid, you know? So with him, it's so fun to coach because you could technically play him at the two offensively, but then have him guard a four, Yeah, you know, or, or you can, you know, like you can just play him purely based on mismatches. Like I'm just going to put him on the floor and see who you have guarding him. And then, and that's automatically a mismatch. And then I'm going to adjust my lineup around him and see how you adjust yours. And, you know, that's where, like I said, like, you could play him as a quote unquote four, which in my mind doesn't mean he's a four. It just means you're guarding him with a four. Right. And if you're going to guard him with a four, then I'm going to play him at the two, you know, because now your four has got to guard him, you know, so you can really do. And and I like inverting it. You know, I love playing the kid really high up the ladder. Yeah. So you got to put, you got to put a little guard on him (laughs) because, because you put a little guard on him. You know, that, that's like kind of watching – I'm a big football guy. That, that's like watching, you know, cornerbacks try to tackle Derrick Henry. Right. Like, <laughs> like that's just – It's like – That's just not fair. It's, like the it's re- not fair. It's like the reverse of a tweener. It, it's – it's it, it, you, he's too big to guard, you know, by you know by guards, and he's too fast and athletic yeah. to be to be stopped <laughs> by – by uh by some of the some of the bigger guys so yeah that's just um and I, I know we 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 don't need to get too much into Kaminga this is this is more of a um you know this is definitely more focused on Lance but just wanted yeah. to feel that out and um re- real quickly the last last thing I'm gonna ask on on Kaminga um, I know he's at, at at the Patrick School same place that Nick Richards played and and thrived um yeah. do you think that he is kind of watching and you know having having Coach Chavez in in his ear kind of watching. Nick Richards and, and how he has grown from, you know, almost unplayable as a freshman to, you know, arguably SEC player of the year. Do you think that level of, of development and, and kind of that confidence boost that, that Nick has seen, do you think that Kaminga is watching that at all at all? And in, in terms of and, and when he's making a decision and if he will factor factor in that level of, of coaching or, or do you think he's just going to be a, you know, kind of a plug and play guy? He, he knows that his, his confidence, his abilities, that, that he can thrive no matter what system he, he's at or if he's even looking at specifics like that. I think it's both. I mean, the thing with Jonathan is he's so damn smart, you know, like he, he, he really is, you know, he, he just cause he doesn't say a lot. doesn't mean he's not processing a lot, right. you know, like he, he, he so I, I think it's both. I mean, I think he has the confidence in himself. I know he has the confidence in himself where, you know, he's kind of saying like, you know, yes, that's, that's nice, but you know, I'm, I'm going to step in right away. Right. Um, but at the same time, Jonathan is probably for me, one of the, the top couple kids that I've ever coached as far as his desire, you know, and, and desire to improve and work ethic. And, you know, the kid, you know, you, you, you have to kick him out of the gym, <laughs> you know, like there are, there are, there have been practices repeatedly where I'm saying like, John, I need you to leave so I can go home to my <laughs> wife and kid. Um, and so, 
you know, I, I, I say both because I think he is the type of kid that has the confidence in himself where he is saying like, you know, look, it's nice that, that, you know, development occurs, but I'm going to come in and be an alpha male. But I also think development is very important to him because look, this kid, his goal is not to be the best high school player. Mm -hmm. And his goal is not to be the best college player. His goal is to be the best player. You know, like that is like, that is where his bar is, you know, like that, that is where, you know, and, and, you know, you saw it this past year where, you know, like he was playing up an age group. Oh, they have you ranked as the number four player in your class. What do you think about that? <laughs> oh, my, my goal is to be the best. Oh, in your class. No, the best. Yeah. Like across the board, They're like end of sentence. <laughs> like I, I want to be the best. Um, and I, I just think for him, if that's what you want, then you have to be confident in who you are right now, but you also have to put yourself in a position where you're going to continue to be developed because you have to keep getting better. And so I, I, I think it's both. I think he's aware of all of it, but I, I don't think it's either or. Yeah. Um, well, um, you know, we can kind of end it here. Uh, one, one last quick, quick, quick preview on, on Lance Ware. What is, if, if you could highlight one thing that Lance Ware is going to bring to the table and why Kentucky fans should be excited about him, uh, what would that be? Effort, coachability, and he's a great teammate. I just think he's, he's the type of kid that everyone's going to embrace, you know, inside the program and out. Well, very cool. Well, I appreciate it, man, as always. Um, you know, it was a heck of a conversation, and uh, I, I look forward to getting in touch in the future for, for other other good stuff. Definitely. I, I mean, look, if, if we, you know, Hamadou Diallo played for, for the Kentucky, mm -hmm. Lance Ware is going to Kentucky. If, if we can keep sending kids to Kentucky, that means we're doing something right. So <laughs> I hope we are talking more. <laughs> well, I appreciate, appreciate it as always, and uh, hope you have a good rest sure. of the day, man. All right, you too. All right, too.